0: Welcome to my series on grief. This is a professional grief journey as well as a personal grief journey. I'm Christy Bundakumara, I'm a psychiatric nurse practitioner with over 20 years of clinical experience, Um, but unfortunately I'm an expert in grief because I have lost children. And I think that is super important to talk about here because today I'm going to go over um, Bowlby's uh, attachment theory. So when we talk about quantifying loss or what is intense grief versus um, what is normal grief, right? We often you know, we all have to go through grief and, and we get that response all the time. Well, grief is normal. Everyone will lose someone. And that is very true. But I have lost children. And I can tell you just emotionally and physically, and, and the parents that follow me will all say the same thing, that it is different, it, is, it feels unbearable. Um, and so there is like differences in types of grief. And this theory, this biological theory of attachment in grief really makes a lot of sense, okay? So we know what attachment is, you know, and obviously if you are grieving the loss of anyone, you had some sort of attachment to that person. But there are are actually chemical attachments that happen um, biologically. And so in this theory, they they really talk about um, what is happening In the brain based on this, you know, what we call permanent loss. So there are several chemicals in our brain. One is kind of known as the love chemical. It's called oxytocin. And this is one of the reasons that we talk about the bond between a mother and a child being that kind of strongest attachment Uh, so it's not just psychological there's actually a biological reason why that is a very strong attachment so in the birthing process um, oxytocin is uh, released and the mother begins to have that chemical bond with the child this is also kind of solidified or strengthened over the course of breastfeeding, because breastfeeding actually increases oxytocin, and so it it helps with that bonding. So there are other things that release oxytocin. Intimacy, so it's not just, um, you know, mother-child bond, but any kind of intimacy. You have, uh, if you have intimate conversations with your mother, your father, your grandfather, like that, causes um, that oxytocin to release as well. And even more so in romantic relationships, uh, specifically, you know, sexual with orgasm, there is actually an oxytocin release during orgasm. So this oxytocin is the love chemical and it starts to create a biological attachment. So not just a psychological attachment. But there's also other neurotransmitters. We have 26 plus neurotransmitters in our brain. Um, We talk a lot about three of them because we know about them. So serotonin, norepinephrine, dopamine. And when there is a bond, an attachment, a connection with someone, you actually have an increase in these neurotransmitters. And so that begins to have this chemical connection. So the problem in loss and grief, this attachment grief theory, is that the biological attachment is physically there even though the person has died, right? Like that bond, that attachment is still um, physically present in your in your brain. So he's calling it. Um, proximity to your attachment. And when you have permanent loss, when the person dies, there is, you know, no proximity. And so it causes anxiety and dysfunction. Um, and really, you know, the, the attachment piece goes into and kind of, um, supports some of the other grief theories that we've talked about now in this attachment theory, he also kind of describes different, um, Either steps or elements or things that people go through it's very similar to the five stages of grief that we kind of all learn in school um, his first stage is that shock um, second is kind of numbness and denial which in the five stages they kind of put together um, his next step is yearning and protest which I feel like is pretty similar to bargaining. Like you're, you're wishing they were here. You wish you would have done something different. You're kind of protesting that maybe going into a little bit of anger. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, when we, we put so much popularity on the five stages of grief, as people are developing new theories, there are people that do not experience anger. Um, And I've heard this as I'm reading and studying that I experience a lot of anger, but there's some people that don't experience anger and grief. And so, you know, kind of changing the words around that of kind of that internal conflict of, I really miss this person. I want them in my life. I'm very upset that um, kind of internally protesting that this is happening to me. His next step is despair which I think kind of correlates with uh, the five stages in in depression. But this, you know, kind of the reality that this is real, that, you know, um, I'm never going to physically see my children again. And then his last uh, stage is a gradual recovery. Um, And a lot of the grief theories kind of talk about this, you know, adjusting, reinvesting in life, you know, gradually accepting moving on. These are all trigger words for parents who have lost a child because you feel like you can never um, accept or move on. But the word recovery has more of a healing. And this, you know, if you're following me on this grief journey, I kind of came to this realization, you know, a little more than a week ago of, I can't fix this. I can't go through 45 days of grief and study all these things and my grief be gone. Like I can't fix the pain, Um, but I can heal. And so, you know, kind of using words that resonate with you as, as you're, you know, studying and trying to um, reintegrate into the world. And I, <clears throat> I talk about in another grief theory, like the word reinvest. I like to say embrace life, like how in the midst of my pain, the reality of my loss, the permanency of my loss, the, the fact that it changed everything about me. Um, how can I still embrace life? Because I know there's so many specifically parents. And I think that's cause you know, I, you know, they're following me. They're getting, I'm getting some of their stories, but they, they get to the point where they feel like suicide is an option because it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't, you know, being able to accept or recover, or, you know, go through these stages. And I don't want you to think of any of these theories as stages. Like it's not a step by step. It's not tasks that if you complete these, uh, you will be better. Right? But it is, it has been helpful for me and I'm a professional with a degree and (laughs) maybe I think I know everything, right? It has been helpful for me to like study these grief theories in the context of which they were written, but also in the context of myself and just be honest, like that word, acceptance, move on is a trigger for me. I don't have to use that word, but I also, need to like understand that this is very complex and theorists are trying to kind of give words to the pain and the process. So, um, what I got most out of this, uh, attachment theory is that biological connection. I mean, I know about oxytocin, but it's almost like you had to be reminded. And I think that this is also why, like the losing a child just seems so much more intense and unbearable than, you know, another loss. And I, not to be comparatively, but those mothers, fathers out there who have lost a child feel like it's a different kind of intensity. And so... Uh, Especially, you know, we talked about the oxytocin with the mother during birth, during breastfeeding, but also in any kind of intimate relationship. So if you've lost your husband, um, you know, your best friend, those kinds of intimate things actually create a chemical attachment. And so some of the feelings that we are feeling as we are going through this process are biological. And I have come to, like, I'm not going to sever that attachment, right? Um, and I talk about that with some of the other uh, grief theories. I'm working on kind of a spiritual connection and those kinds of things. But the the other components that that loss of attachment creates is where we have to kind of untangle all of these things. because intense grief causes everything to kind of come together and get all meshed up. And then you have negative talk. And if there's an injustice, you know, based on your loss, then that comes into play. Anger comes into play. And you have all of these things going on at one time. And so I, I just challenge you to kind of separate grief by itself and making sure that we are processing grief. Cause that's one of the things that as I'm looking at all of these theories, it's not that they don't understand what's happening. I think all of these things make sense. And I talk about, you know, the differences and where they make sense for me, but what gets confusing, what causes, you know, prolonged grief disorder or depression is when everything's getting mixed up. And, um, so studying these grief theories is helping me. So I challenge you to also um, study these things on your own and just, you know, be honest with yourself where, you know, it doesn't resonate with you, but also I'm learning something new in each grief theory that I look at. So, um, attachment theory is that there is an actual biochemical attachment to your loved one that, um, will need to heal over time. So keep following, uh, keep working on your own grief, and I truly believe that we are all mentally strong.